one thing seventhly, and while we now know one thing that are passing away, to cleave to those things that abide forever through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Oh, it's so nice to see you. It feels um, normal, actually. The best thing in the morning was the kids coming back. That was really, really good to see some of the kids. It's been so long since the kids were in. Um, so he was. Every kid got a free dispensation to punch his brother this morning. Something the morning that used up. So, you know, it's like a rail, you know, it was great. It was great to see kids punching each other at the community rail. The kingdom of God is among us. So, we got to leave a little bit early today because of the urination we have to do. Uh, we have to get set. That clock is about one minute slow. Don't worry, we'll fix it. And uh, everything else is new. So welcome back. Thanks to the people who designed this. There's a couple of young architect guys and then uh, the other people who put it together. It's a very, very nice room. Hopefully we've got things sort of sorted out on where things are. There's some people move site. Means that I changed denominations. I showed you that. No. Um, we're in the Baptist of Pentecostal. I'm not exactly sure, but when I figure it out, I know it. Men's Bible study starts at uh, 6:30. Who's coming to Men's Bible study 6:30 a.m.? Who's coming? Watch this. Behave. Behave. Do you not say more? Don't make me come over there. Okay. That's all I'm saying to you. So uh, you know what I'm talking about. If you've been there before. Uh, okay, so, and then the pig roast is, uh, steak fried becomes pig roast this, this week. So many things to remember. For the men, just show up, run from scratch. Uh, for the women, though, don't bring dessert. Do bring something to drink, alcoholic or non-alcoholic, and bring a friend. So this was originally a vision for people to get to know each other, but also everything is on at the same time. Everything is going to be easy. I told you to pull liturgy out. That's why uh, doors are open early. That's why you don't get hold of the pastor. Then Bible study, you know, the big rules. Everything is meant to be Fourth of July parade. That everything is meant to be an honor. You can bring your friends, uh, and it's not threatening. One of the hardest things in the world for people in, in what is now um, essentially a non-Christian society is for people to move across. The threshold. You don't have any. They don't have any more idea about what they're going to meet than you would if you moved into a, if you went into a mosque or a synagogue. You, people don't have a cultural uh, association with the church anymore. So everything we do needs to be welcoming. Everything needs to be open. Everything needs to be uh, tasteful. Everything needs to draw people. Otherwise, uh, we aren't really paying attention to Jesus when He says, "In your going, make disciples." Right. So in everything we do in our going, we're meant to make disciples. That said, it's been an interesting last year and a half. Um, it's nice this morning because you're in such a good mood. And it was nice that the music was back and so many people showed up, and especially the children that the kids back is a huge deal. Um, you know, like you, we've been trying to figure it out. And for the pastors at least, one of the most interesting things is we don't really know who's still in the congregation. I can think about this, it's been almost two years, and we don't know who's here. We don't know, we haven't been able to get behind people's souls. We don't know how prayers are going. We don't know who struggled with death. We don't know who thinks this is all a big misunderstanding. We don't know, we don't know. And yet, what we're supposed to do is to try to pull all of them together in one community. 
that's extraordinarily difficult. I'm on several, I get a lot of pastor type messages, and I get a lot of church order type messages, and I get a lot of random stuff from all over now. One of my great nervousnesses is that much of the stuff I get sounds so much like the world. And of course, you're not in the world. And you should be approaching this in a very different way. And when we become of the world, we approach it in a worldly sort of way, um, then you have to say to yourself, now what is Jesus having this way with us? Now, what I don't mean is that there's one you know, religious side of all the things that we have engaged over the last couple of years, from questions about race, to questions about COVID, to churches and their rights, to greater society, all the things that are happening to foreign policy. I'm not suggesting that there's a Christian way to follow. I am suggesting that there are some things that make us uniquely Christian, and these things guide us. So over the next year, what I hope that we'll do is be reminded of the things that are uniquely Christian, and that we will reacquaint ourselves with each other understand what it means to be with and for each other. And then, what I hope will happen is that even if you figure out that somebody you like very much, or maybe somebody you've never met before, thinks very differently than you do about foreign policy or race relations or corporate America or, 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 that you'll still find yourself with them at the Eucharist as a brother or sister and that will be the mark of a community. What I hope I will discover about you over the next year, and there are some indicators of this, but what I hope I will discover is that while you have been, uh, in many cases, uh, put under great stress, and at times uh, you even found yourself in despair, what I hope I will discover is that this rhythm of Christian life with which you've engaged over the past 20 years, Christ and Scripture and prayer and the Eucharist and the liturgy and tithing and giving alms and um, being merciful and being a good witness, these things that we've talked about over and over and over again, as the acts to marks for the Christian life, what I hope we will discover is we had an interruption of all back. And we're back in a way that's welcoming and loving and together, even though um, rational civil people can disagree about things. That's what I hope to discover. Now what's very interesting is, uh, we don't have many ways that we can tell that without actually having a good conversation with you or looking deep into your soul, right? That's difficult for us. And frankly, we've lost a lot of conversations being part for almost a year and a half. A couple of things that have been very positive. One is people coming back this morning. This was a, this is always a seminal day for us because when kids go back to school, families say summer's over and we go back to church. It actually started to happen. So the bigger shows this morning, but especially kids, that has been a real bogey for us over the past um, four or five months. And also giving. What's really interesting is giving has, it's not fabulous, but it's steady and it's black ink. And that is another thing that many churches can say. So what that means is that people are still engaged. Like, this is my church. I may or may not be gone. I may or may not be wearing a mask. I may or may not agree. Uh, I'm certainly not having the sort of experiences that I had in the past.
this is my place and I'm still all in. And so what we have to do over the next year is try to figure out what we look like again. And that should be some measure of fun if we stay faithful and stay disciplined, if we are civil, if we are rational, if we live like Christians, if we understand that we're the same community. And so what I hope that we'll do over the next year is that we will talk about some things, um, what it means to be for one another. Uh, that's a descriptor that's often used in the scriptures. Um, bear one another's burdens, for example. What does it look like for us to be for one another inside this community? And then what does it look like to be a Christian outside in the greater community of the world? And can we do both of those things in the image of Christ? So anyway, that's why I hope we're going in next year. Questions about any of that? Or just about things in general? As long as we don't go too far off topic. Okay. Okay, here we go. So take this up. Here's, you know, I think that it's been harder to write this stuff up because I don't see you, but as much in our world wobbles and fails us. And that is going to express over and over again the disappointment, the failures of the world, how things both in the church and the world become up short. So as a lot of things wobble, um, many of us have been left feeling disoriented. So I, I talk to a lot of people just the world is kind of spinning around them. Riddle. And I mean that, and I feel like sometimes when I talk to people, it's like they're going to break. Right? It's like they're just going to shatter. Anxious, sharp. Um, I know many of you pretty well. After 25 years, I know pretty, you know me pretty well. I found myself at times have sharp elbows. I didn't want to, but I do. And I think you probably found too that people have lost their social grace, their ability to interact with other people. I mean, if you don't believe that, just go home and read next door today. I mean, it's one thing when it's on Facebook at a distance, but when you read next door, you see people in your neighborhood, and they are going hand on each other for an entire afternoon about when somebody parks their car, or, you know, somebody looks the light, and you kind of go, who are you people? And I go to New Zealand, too. I mean, that's nice. So, um, you know, the people have a lot of sharp elbows, and people have been not feeling quite alone. They don't know who to trust. Right? And you can't see people, and you can't see people's faces, and you can't be with them. And that's a threatening thing. So, you know, the world has let us down. That's not something new. And, and you know, put not your trust in princes, as the Psalms say. But fortunately, we're children of another world. And part of this morning, even with the music, right, you sort of go, oh yeah, that's us, right? We live in a world that's lovely and holy and healing and intoxicating, right? and undivided. That may be the point where we really need to get to this beautiful lack of division. So how can we find the discipline and joy to live our future now? You remember we talked um, when we did kind of zoom by the studies last year. I tried to convince you that hope means that you can welcome the future. To dread the future, hope means you welcome your future, you welcome the future. That's what hope is. And so we can live that future now as Jesus' intent. And so then this little prayer from uh, St. Ambrose, Know then, O beautiful soul, that you are the image of God. Know that you are the glory of God. Hear how you are his glory. Know, O man, your greatness and be vigilant. 
And that's where we want to get. We want to be visual about the glory and greatness that's been given to us, and yet let that be in humility. So, you know, as has happened once or twice in the past, I'm a little ahead of the outline. So, you know, number one, you know, our world is miserable. All you have to do is watch the news, but then watch too much of it, and listen to friends, but be careful who you listen to. It's as if we don't have boundaries anymore. You know, people are thought less, and everything is exaggerated and uncivil and chaotic. And, you know, you might even reflect on the demonic categories of, you know, um, infested, demonic noise, uh, oppressed, the devil leans on you, Sex, you know, where the devil really punishes you and possessed, where the devil breaks your will. Just look around the world and see, you know, do you see that? Right? Do you really see the spirit of this world, the spirit of this age, the spirit of God? Now, it's not something you have to be afraid of, but do, there are sometimes explanations for things which we don't always embrace. And I suggest to you that this is the first commandment problem that put at the bottom of the we hear what we were aiming at? Which is, did the enlightenment have its way with us? Can we find our own thoughts? And not just the enlightenment, of course, post enlightenment, post modernism, but, you know, I'm my own God now. How am I doing? And how are you doing? Every person is their own God. This is fabulous, right? It worked out just the way we thought. Sort of like when Google and Facebook started. If we just get everybody out and let them say whatever they want, even if they're anonymous and speaking from dark corners, it'll all be fine, right? It'll be great, right? Number four higher Google as a librarian, but shouldn't have been a pastor. Right? In fact, I'm thinking about talking to him about this. I think the ethics for Google would this be great? I'll need options. Okay, number two. We of course aren't the first to feel like we're drowning. And you you know these uh, Psalm 69, right? Save me, O God, the waters are up my neck. I'm sinking deep and there is no foothold. I'm in the deep waters, the floods are sweeping over me. I'm weary, my throat's parched, my eyes are dead. I can't talk, I can't see, I can't stand. Look at this, right? This is your last 18 months. And I'm waiting, but I'm not getting much satisfaction. Actually, more in number than the hairs on the head of those who hate me without cause. My dear, those who would destroy me, those who would attack me with lies. That's your world, right? That's your world. Now, before we um, brush by that too quickly, I actually want to say to you, this is demonic. In a literal sense. So, um, you always kind of looking for things. Here's a beautiful thing. Mankind's servitude to the devil depicts the misery of man without God. The possessed of the gospel. So we have one today in the gospel. So if you go to later and listen to this gospel, the possessed of the Gospels are a terrifying image of the human condition when man has, and this is very important, deliberately broken with God. So when you say, I will be my own God, yeah, the joke's on you. Basically, when you say, I will be my own God, you've given yourself over to someone more powerful and more intelligent than you are, to a demon or to the devil himself. There is no possibility for any of us to be our own God. We're too far down the food chain uh, in the beings of the universe. Right? These folks live in the unclean spirit. What an interesting way to talk. 
you don't live in the church, you don't live in Christ, you don't live in the Holy Spirit, you live in the unclean spirit. In other words, I just ask yourself, isn't this our world? In an inability to enter into a relation with the Holy One. Consequently, they are, go home and watch the morning news, take the morning news on Sunday and watch it. They will be raving you blind death and shut off from any genuine relationship with their neighbor. That is perfect. Right? We are, we are, we are a race shut off from any real human relationship with each other. So we are dead to God and dead to each other. This explains a lot. They live in cemeteries and they unleash their rage against themselves and others. The last 18 months could easily be described as the age of rage. In short, a possessed person is like a dead man walking. So, um, wittingly or unwittingly, this is what happens when we embrace the sin that is born in our hearts. And if you need a Jesus reference for that, um, turn the page. Jesus in Matthew 15. Out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false murder, false witness, and slander. These are what define the person. Right? Now the other side, of course, is that if you want change, in order to change the world, you need to change hearts. And the way that you change hearts is which, with the touch of the gospel. Your own heart, go to the universe. Read the scriptures. Splash in the water of the Father, memory of baptism. Say your prayers. Be generous. Be civil. If you want to change people, you change their hearts. Otherwise, we're going to spend the rest of our lives hating God and hating each other. And you remember that the touching evil, this is point four, makes everything murky and dark. We shouldn't ever think about things just as sins. Like you can one-off gossip about somebody, or rage against somebody, or you know, have an affair, or uh, hurt somebody. Those things are never one-off. Sins always proceed from sin. And uh, the more sins you do, the darker your senses become. Suddenly you can't see the world properly. You can no longer listen to God or other people. You can no longer love with your heart. You can no longer choose what is good. All these things that the Holy Spirit gives you, that your baptism and then beyond, that you can see clearly, that you can hear the word of God, that you love what is beautiful and just and merciful, and that you choose for that repeated sin or mortal sin, compromises and kills that. So ask yourself if we have come to a point where we have become so demonic, it's not just that we can't choose what is good, we don't even know what is good anymore. So just um, beware of the signs, and I give you this you know, long list here, embracing the Lord, embracing ourselves, grasping at power, magic, the, um, the impulse of you know, the under 25s to magic is started. Uh, the amount of Lutheran kids that I know who are engaged in magic, it's just like, it's like, it's off the charts. I first saw this when I was, my vicar was, um, you know, 35 years ago or whatever. Uh, I was the first vicar for a while at Northwestern, and even then there was a group of young people, Lutherans, who were dabbling in what they called white magic, which of course is like, this contradiction 
terms, right? Because magic works like power, and power comes from the devil, so there's nothing actually white about it. Um, all magic is evil, right? It's invocation of demons to supersede the will of God. There's nothing white or safe or noble about that. Right? So it's just an interesting. And sometimes you see, you know, things pop up and then something else pops up. Okay, you know, um, destroying families, disparaging work, the public celebration of immorality, right? Uh, theft and destruct destruction. This is just the Ten Commandments in another way. Lying about people, anything what other people have. In short, that our vices are held up as virtues. And who will speak against it? And how, right? Are you to pay any price for that? It's part of the reason uh, we need to hang together. Because you need somebody else that's very lonely to be the person who speaks against evil. It doesn't go off the prophets in the scriptures. So, um, this is where we are. And the worse it gets, the worse it gets. So you get, you get buried in this. But here's the problem. At point number five, you probably have never thought about this, but the devil who becomes our new king, and the world becomes his new kingdom. It's very interesting that you know the word devil actually means to separate or divide, which is very interesting, because St. Augustine was the one who said, what the gospel does is gather us all together. It pulls us all together as one, and heaven will be where we are all completely together, one with each other and one with God. Uh, it's a very interesting idea because the opposite is that evil scatters. And so interesting that the name devil actually means to separate or divide or scatter, to leave you alone and unloved. Kind of a sitting duck, right? And when you are alone, that's when you're most in danger. You already know some things like suicide or drug abuse, but actually it's true first and foremost for being attacked by the demonic. You're mostly when you're most alone. This is why when the ascetics went out into the deserts, right, and they thought they would escape the world and concentrate only on God, their spiritual trials were, you know, a hundred times what they were when they were back in a city with people around and they could escape and be distracted. When they were alone with themselves in their own hearts, that was the, the greatest one of attack. So if Satan can break us off from the herd, right, that's when we're most dangerous. The chief of the Maleficent spirits is indiscriminately called Satan. That's uh, the deceiver. Uh, or the devil. In other words, the divider. He's branded as the evil one in the final petition of our, of our Father. By the way, I just encourage you so that I don't get into trouble with official translations. You should pray the Lord's Prayer twice tonight. And the first time you pray through, um, Lead us not into temptation to deliver us from evil. But you know, uh, in other places in the world, the translation is, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Which is actually a beautiful way to pray the Lord's Prayer. That you actually ask your Heavenly Father to go to war with Satan on your behalf. So, lead us not into temptation. Stay away. Don't touch evil. I've talked to you about this a thousand times. If you touch evil, you become evil. You become what you touch. If you touch good, you become good. Touch evil, you become, you lose the ability to think, to see, to hear, to choose, to love. Touch good, you gain the ability to think, to see, to choose, to love. Right? So, lead us not in temptation. Stay away. And deliver us from the evil one. Protect us. Right? Protect me. 
He's granted the evil one the final position of the Our Father. He's also the enemy, the adversary. And so you should think about that. The Holy Spirit's name as being the counselor or the advocate. So this is how you think about your life. You have Satan, who is your adversary, and the Holy Spirit, who is your advocate. So Satan is always accusing you before your Heavenly Father, and the Holy Spirit is advocating for you before your Heavenly Father. That's the battle for your soul. And in the end, his power is trampled underfoot by the apostles. Depending on the form his malice takes, he's described as a liar and the father of lies. Insofar as he draws men into evil, he's the tempter or the seducer. Finally, Satan recapitulates the figures of evil that are depicted in the Old Testament. The enormous dragon of the last days, right? The ancient serpent. Now, um, Satan, who is the divider, is encountered by Jesus the Christ. Holy love, mercy, and truth who comes to do what? To have a church, to have a body, to have an ecclesia, to have a community, to have a tribe, to have his Israel, to have all his children home again. This is the story of Scripture. From the very first at the beginning, Satan divides Adam from Eve, Adam and Eve from God, Cain from Abel, right? Um, Jacob from Ishmael. Um, the, the, one of the tribes from the other tribes of Israel, and on and on and on and on. This is the story of the world. The people are scattered and divided and broken and left alone and tempted and destroyed. The response to that is our Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah, who comes to put things back together. So you know the story. This is from Benedict. Uh, you know, as I've told you before, you know, Pope Benedict, they said, he was the smartest pope in a thousand years. Uh, when you, I, I told you, he was in a study group, that Arthur Just, doctoral father, was part of the study group. To join the group, they'd be invited by Pope Benedict in no five languages. But he said, when he wanted everybody to understand what he was saying, Benedict would lean in and speak in Latin. <laughs> Why do you not have children in Latin? Because the devil understands Latin. But that's another topic. Okay. Um, during the Sabbath, the religion spread the prophecy, and the people drove him away, second period. They even tried to push him off the precipice. However, and now here's your image, here's your model. So there, there's not, here's the thing. If you think, and I've never leaned on this before, I don't know how I'm going to this. So, so here's the thing. Sorry, you anti, or you old Methodist, I'm sorry, sorry. Um, Jesus is in a worse position than you are. He's at the point where they're ready to kill him for being, if you will, a Christian. And they're ready to toss him off. They're ready to toss him. I've been to this place where this happened. I was at the top of the cliff, and as we stood on the top of the cliff, this is how high it is, and an Israeli army helicopter came up from the bottom and just stopped and looked us in the eye. So this is a long way up where they're going to toss him off. Okay? So, um, they, they, they are grasping for Jesus, right? As the world is grasping for you. That's why you've been so brittle and nervous and alone and worried and, you know. But, passing through the midst of the angry mob with supreme calmness, he went away. Now, why was Jesus such a troublemaker? 
This is exactly the point. Jesus did not come to seek the agreement of men and women, but rather to bear witness to the truth. Now this is the hard part. You have to put together being in the midst of an angry mob with being calm, with standing up for truth, with being threatened and unpopular, with not lashing out, with living in love. Watch this. The true prophet does not obey others as he does God, and he puts himself at the service of truth, ready to pay in person. So we have all sorts of people who are ready to pay. They, they, they email me every day, and you know how they want to pay? This man is my enemy. I'm ready for violence. These are the sort of people who shouldn't be in the church. These are the people that we're against. Very interesting for Christians, even for pastors. Very interesting. Since Jesus is opposite that. It is true that Jesus was a prophet of love. But love has a truth of its own. Indeed, this is very important. Love and truth are two names for the same reality. Two names of God. Believing in God means, and this is the hard part, giving up our own prejudices and accepting the actual faith in which he faced, in which he actually lived himself, Jesus of Nazareth. That is the difficulty of the Christian life. To live in truth and in love, to act in holiness, and still to resist evil. It's extraordinarily difficult. And there aren't a lot of people that are doing that right now. Uh, even in the church, a lot of people are mimicking what the world does. So, you know, is that too hard? Well, you know. The second time, the other second. The picture would be overwhelming if it were not intrinsically related in the Old Testament to the victory of Christ. Just as the New Testament reveals the depth and universality of sin only at the precise moment when it is parting with us. So you never really know who Jesus is until he dies on the cross. Remember in the Passion of Christ, if you've seen it, that great moment where Jesus dies on the cross, the devil goes up and laughs, and this enormous teardrop um, drops down from heaven and drowns him, as it were. So you have all three things happen at once. The son dies. Father cries, the devil laughs, the devil is defeated, the Father is victorious, and in a moment he will raise the Son. That's why you can't separate Good Friday from Easter. Or frankly, the Eucharist from Good Friday from Easter. That's why the Eucharist is the center of our life. Because as Romans Asa says, the Eucharist is Christ. And it's the touch that cures us. Okay, so um, the victory was not one without combat. But it was a particular kind of combat. It was the weakness of combat. It was going to the cross. It was Father, forgive them. They don't have any idea what they're doing. It's accepting the nails. It's accepting the lashes. It's accepting your sin and mine, right? I, we've forgotten somehow that this is our story. Because we've leaned into the story of the world. And we begin to look like the world instead. This is our story. It's much more the hour of Christ. Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the ruler of this world shall be cast out. How is the ruler of the world cast out? Not by our rage, not by our sharp elbows, not by our lack of going to the Eucharist, not by our, our lack of prayer. How?
how is, how is Satan cast out? How is he cast out? He's cast out by the cross. Satan's apparent victory marks his definitive defeat. So what I hope that you'll do with me this year is you'll rethink your own life and um, look forward into how we can go. And the final thing, we've been reading the Gospel of Mark. We're a series being lecturing, so we've been reading the Gospel of Mark. The Gospel of Mark is very interesting. It's this urgent, immediate, everybody's in trouble. Listen to the Gospel for today from Mark 9. We've got trouble. Everybody's fighting. Everything is chaotic. Nobody knows what to do. Everybody's screaming and yelling. This kid is falling at the mouth. He's ridden and think he's dead. And Jesus, what does Jesus do? He does the same thing that he did when he came to the dead boy and the bleeding woman. And he does the same thing about the demon-possessed girl and what he does to the man with a withered hand. He does the same thing every time in Mark's gospel. Boom, 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 boom. What does Jesus do? He walks into this chaotic situation like our world. And he looks around and he sizes things up. And all kinds of people are tugging at him and telling him what to do. And he asks a question or two. And then with this calm gravitas, he does what needs to be done. And then he moves on before anybody can lay a glove on him or make him the kind of king that they want. See if that's not the image that we need as a church as we go forward. So, that's the goal. Uh, we'll see where it takes us. I think we have to start internally first. I gotta get a line on you, and you gotta get a line on me. We have gotta figure out where we are. We gotta figure out who's in and who's out. If people are in, we need to um, help them. If people are out, we need to figure out why. There's just a ton of, there's never been more pastoral work to do than this right at this moment. Never in the time I've been in St. John. Because I have no idea what I've got. And yet you're all here this morning, and the ink is black, and Nathan's going to be ordained, and the music was fabulous, and John's sick, and he came to work anyway, and Mary's making everything work behind the scenes, and, you know, Kendall's water skiing in Spirit Lake. Thanks, buddy. Everybody's got something to do with Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art.